And so a 1031 allows you to defer the capital gain, not eliminate, but defer your capital gain on a property if you buy other properties. If you remember like growing up and playing Monopoly, in Monopoly, you have the four green houses and you trade up for the big red hotel. And that's what a 1031 exchange is. Let's say I have a $100,000 capital gain on a property and, and I'm like, man, I don't want to pay that. I got to pay 23% to Fed and I got to pay 9% to state. So I'm paying 32%. So when I sell it for 100K, I'm only getting 70 grand. What happens if I sell that property and do nothing with the money. I got taxed and it's going to be eaten away by inflation. So I'm better off taking the proceeds of the sale of a property and reinvesting that money. Welcome back everyone to the Learn Like a CPA podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Bakey. And today we are going to be debunking the 1031 exchange. Every single person and their mother has heard about the 1031 exchange if you're in real estate. If you didn't hear about it, I'll break it down in 30 seconds. So 1031 exchange is where you have a rental property that has been used for business for a number of years. It doesn't have to be years, but its primary purpose was rental real estate. It was an investment property and you want to sell that property, but that property is, it has a lot of gains. You know, maybe you bought it when interest rates were super low and it's appreciated in value. Or we see this a lot where clients have properties that are 20 years old and then they go to sell and it's got a huge gain, right? And you want to not have to pay that gain. Well, a 1031 exchange allows you to do that as long as you take the money and you use it to buy more real estate. That's the catch. And so you can almost think about this as if you've, uh, if you remember like growing up and playing Monopoly. So in Monopoly, you would travel across the board and, you know, pass go, collect $200, blah, blah, blah. Um, if you don't own real estate, by the way, you're just passing that board, collecting go, passing go and collecting $200. You're not actually owning anything. And that's why the game of Monopoly is a good foresight into the game of life. In Monopoly, you have the four green houses and you trade up for the big red hotel. And that's what a 1031 exchange is. And it doesn't have to be, you don't have to only buy one new house or two new houses. Some of the basics is, I always love to do math. So let's say I have a property that has a $200,000 capital gain and I want I don't want to pay taxes because the $200,000 gain, I'm going to have to pay 20% capital gains. There's a thing called net investment income tax. That's another 3.8%. So I'm going to pay 23.8% on $200,000. And that's before we get into any sort of uh, depreciation, depreciation recapture. So I'm looking at like a $45,000, $50,000 tax bill if I was to sell that property. Going back to the other episode, and if you guys haven't checked this out, it's going to be the debt taxes and inflation episode. But what happens if I sell that property and do nothing with it, with the money? I got taxed and it's going to be eaten away by inflation. So I'm better off taking the proceeds of the sale of a property and reinvesting that money, whether it's in another property, whether it's just the money's working for me in the banking system, whatever it is, like I'm better off reinvesting that money. And so at 1031 allows you to defer the capital gain, not eliminate, but defer your capital gain on a property if you buy other properties. Now, here's here's the rules. So when you sell a property, what happens is you have to have what's called a qualified intermediary. So this is a third party. It's not the title company. It's not you. It's a third party that helps you facilitate the transaction. We will link the into the show notes below the 1031 person that I prefer, and you guys can get her contact information. But the qualified intermediary is going to hold on to the funds, right? 
So when you sell the property, you don't get any of the money. It goes right to the qualified intermediary's bank account. And when you sell the property, this is what's important to understand is that there's timelines and deadlines. There's, you have 45 days from when you sell the property to identify up to three replacement properties. So you can, and you have to write them in by address. You could say, here's three properties that I'm looking at. And you have that 45 day identification period. So bam, I close on a property. I got $200,000 that gets sent to the qualified intermediary. I have 45 days from that date of sale to identify up to three replacement properties. Okay. Now you don't have to close on all three of those. You can close on one, you can close on two of them, but here's the rule with that. So the equity that you walk away with from the sale of the original property, that also has to equal the equity in the new property. It has to be the same, if not more in the new property. So equity to equity has to be the same or more. The sale price of the property. So if I sold that property for 400 grand, the sale price has to equal the new purchase price or more. So if I sold a property for 400 grand and I, let's say I had $200,000 of equity in it, I have to have $200,000 of equity in the new property and that $400,000 sale price, I have to buy at least a $400,000 property. So those are the two main math rules, right? Same purchase price or more and the equity rule. So 45 days to identify those three properties. And then you have 180 days from the date that you sold it, not from the 45 day identification period, but from the date that you sold the property, you have 180 days to close on one of those three properties. And you can either close on, like I said, one of those properties or real quick guys, if you could think about how you found this podcast, maybe it was on Facebook, Instagram, maybe somebody shared it with you. I don't run ads for the show or have sponsorships. So the only way this grows is through word of mouth. If this was valuable for you in any way, the only ask that I can make is that you share it with somebody else. Pass it on to the next person whose investing journey or business can be changed by listening to the show. Much love guys and let's get into the episode. You can either close on, like I said, one of those properties or you can close on more you can close on up to 200% of the fair market value of the original sale. So 200% of the fair market value of the original sale. So if I sold a property for 400 grand, I can purchase up to $800,000 worth of properties. And it could be one property, it could be two properties, three properties. But as long as I'm at that 200, 200% of the sale price, I'm good to go. So you can go from a big, big property. Uh, we see this a lot in California. You'll have a client that bought a duplex in California and things worth a million dollars now. And they want to go and take that and put it across a few different assets. Maybe it's a, another long-term rental, maybe it's a short-term rental. And so then they'll divest that one asset in California and spread out their risk by having different properties in different States. You can totally do that. That's a common strategy. But what I wanted to take away from this is it may not always be the best option because Odds are the property that you owned in the past is got a low interest rate. It's got, uh, you're used to paying a monthly payment. And by the time you buy another property, the debt on the new property, especially in today's rates, like seven, 8%, it may be hard to cash flow on a new property. So I see this all the time. And it's a saying that I, I talk about is don't let the tax tail wag the dog. There's a lot of people that their first instinct is to go and do a 1031 exchange and that's what they hear that everybody's doing. And so then they go and do it. And then next thing you know, they have a really shitty investment property. Like they have a property that's not even cash flowing. It's losing them money per month, all because they wanted to save money on taxes. So don't let taxes be the deciding factor, really. And, and if you're going to do a 1031 exchange, I know that sounds really weird. Like, well, isn't the whole point of a 1031 to 
defer taxes or get, get around taxes. And it is, but don't let that be the deciding factor because if you take on a property that is just shitty location, bad revenue, and it's got a super high debt service, you're going to lose money and you're going to be back at the same position a year or two later. So make sure that you're really thinking about this process when you're going to do a 1031. And while we're coming up on the end of the year, this is a conversation that I have with a lot of people. Okay. So the timing of your events is super important. And it's something I always talk about is if I sell a property, let's say December 15th of this year, and I do a 1031 exchange, I'm not going to know for six months whether or not that 1031 exchange goes through or not. And you might be saying like, well, why wouldn't it go through? Well, the facts are that 30% of 1031 exchanges actually fail. So those are the facts because people aren't educated about the rules. People can't follow the deadlines, but the facts are that 30% of 1031s fail. So if I sell a property December 15th and I go into a 1031, I'm not going to know for six months until 2024, whether or not it's successful or not. So what does that mean? Well, what happens if it is not successful? Well, that capital gain that I have on the property, that's due on April 15, 2024, when I go to file my tax return. But I'm not going to know if the 1031 is successful or not until June of the following year. So it, it creates this problem and you just don't have enough time to react. So what I, what I recommend people to do is to push off the sale of the property. If you're going to sell a property on December 15th, you might as well sell it on January 1st of the following year. Why? Well, if I sell that property on January 1st, I have an entire year to plan because I'll know within six months or not, whether or not the, the 1031 exchange goes through or not. If it doesn't go through, it's June or July and it doesn't go through, I'm able to do what's called the poor man's 1031 exchange. You might've heard about me talk about that on a different podcast episode. That's basically where you just, you just buy another property outright. You not outright, but you buy another property, a normal sale, you take on debt, whatever, but you're using the, the funds that fell out of the 1031 and you're using those to buy that new property. And most of the time, but not all the time, you're able to have enough depreciation and losses from the new property to offset the capital gain on the sale of the old property. So I just, I just kind of started calling it the poor man's 1031. And a lot of you have just like adopted that and started calling that now, but that's really what it is. So, but delaying that 1031 until next year allows you to have these options and worst case scenario, if you, let's say you, you sell the property next year, 1031 doesn't go through. You don't want to buy anything because interest rates are sucking and your best option is to keep the cash, pay the tax, right? You don't owe the tax bill until April 15th of 2025. So just pushing that closing back by two weeks, going from December 15th, 2023 to January 1st, 2024, you're able to push that tax bill back an additional year. So not only do you have an, another year, to a whole year to plan, but worst case scenario, if you get stuck paying the tax bill, you don't have to pay that for another year. So those holding costs, like let's say you're like, hey, I want to sell this property in November. I don't want to wait till next year because it's going to cost me all this money. Well, you compare those holding costs with what your tax bill is. So if you're looking at selling a property and it's November or December and you're like, hey, I really want to get this off my books because I'm losing $2,000 a month on this property, whatever. You have to compare that to what would be the capital gain bill if you were to sell it. Because you might decide that it is worth spending four grand or losing four grand to have the opportunity to offset a 
fifty, sixty thousand dollar tax bill. I just went through this with another client. I said, hey, this four thousand dollars that you're losing over the next two months is actually giving you the opportunity to offset a sixty thousand dollar tax bill potentially. The last thing that I want to cover on 1031 exchanges is because earlier in the episode I mentioned that everybody and their and their mother rushes to do 1031s. There are certain times where you don't even have to do a 1031. Okay, and this goes back to what I talk about as being the most important form for a real estate investor. Hey guys, just want to interrupt the podcast to let you know that if you enjoy the podcast and the content that's in it, you would love my Tax Strategy Academy. This is going to give you the framework for developing all your tax plans for the entire year, whether you're a long-term rental, short-term rental investor. You're going to get a one-on-one call with me to map out your tax plan, and you're going to get access to weekly office hours where you can come and ask your personal questions. So if you're interested in learning more, go check out the link in the show notes below. And now back to the show. The most important form for a real estate investor. And this form is going to be buried at the way bottom of your tax return. It's called Form 8582. And Form 8582 is the passive activity loss form. Basically, it it summarizes all the losses that you've had in the past from your rental properties or businesses that you weren't able to take in the past. And for various reasons, you weren't able to take them, blah, blah, blah. My, my podcast, my content teaches you how to take them. But anyway, you had these losses that you weren't able to take. Now, those losses can be used to offset a capital gain on the sale of a rental property. And people don't understand this. So in this example, let's say I have a $100,000 capital gain on a property and, and I'm like, man, I don't want to pay that. I got to pay 23% to Fed and I got to pay 9% to state. So I'm paying 32%. So when I sell it for 100K gain, I'm only, I'm only getting 70 grand. If you have $100,000 of losses carried forward from previous years, those will offset the capital gain on the sale of that property. So you don't even need to do a 1031 exchange because you have enough losses carried forward to help offset that. That is critically important. I can't tell you, I would say this year alone, I probably had seven or eight people where I pointed that out to them. They're about to go through a 1031. You know, I review their tax return and I say, you don't actually need to do this. You can do this, but you don't need to. And here's why. You have all these losses that are banked up and they're being ready to use. And then it's so, it's so cool how this kind of comes full circle. But in one of the previous episodes, I had talked about debt, taxes, and inflation. And those passive losses, what that is, is that's a loan from the... that That's your money. So if I have $100,000 of passive losses that I'm not able to use, the longer it takes me to use those losses the less off I am because the government owes me $100,000 times whatever my tax bracket is. So the longer I wait to use those losses, the less of an advantage I am because, you know, if I have $100,000 of losses, let's say I'm in a 30% bracket, well, that's 30 grand that I have that that's just sitting there. If I use it in year one, great. If I don't use it till year five, well, that sucks because I just lost value to that of that money to inflation. Now, it might be that your tax bracket goes up in the future, that that would be great. Like maybe you had the losses when you're in a 12, 22% tax bracket, and then now you're in a 24, 32, and you could use them now. That's awesome. We, we help clients do that all the time. But understand that that form 8582, if you take anything away from this podcast is to check that form out before you go through a 1031 exchange. Well, that's going to wrap up today's episode. I know we talked about a lot. We talked about 1031 exchanges, when to do them, when not to do them. We talked a little bit about debt, taxes, and inflation. We talked about the form 8582. So many things here. If you want to take the next step, one of the resources that I have is going to be my 
8,200 person Facebook group. You go on Facebook, just type in tax strategies for real estate investors. When you, when you join that group, uh, post in there, shoot me a message like, Hey, Hey Ryan, I just joined from the podcast. Love it. Make sure you share it with a friend because that's the only way that this podcast grows and we'll see you guys in the next episode.